back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is a place where I'm going to connect you with people and resources and remind you that you're not alone. In this episode, number 222, it's the audio from our second day at the Don't Mom Alone live event that happened a few weeks ago where Bruce and I sat down with Jim and Lynn Jackson of Connected Families. Here's a little clip from that conversation. I remember looking at Daniel, who could be pretty aggressive, and I remember thinking, you are the three-dimensional representation of my failure as a mother. (laughs) I know, and I immediately went, wow, that was really dysfunctional. (laughs) But it was in there, right? But, you know, how often do we kind of feel something like that when sibling conflict happens? And so I learned to set aside my baggage about that and to set aside my baggage about older brothers should never pick on little sisters that I had from my childhood and to just go in empathetic about how hard this is for these little intense personalities. And then I could go in and just throw my arms around them or offer them a hug and go, this is so hard, you guys, isn't it? Wow, you both love this toy, don't you? And I could connect and empathize and communicate, I'm for both of you. So our first night of the event, we talked with Jim and Lynn about discipline and about the Connected Families framework, and we kind of referenced that in this episode. So if you don't know what we're talking about when we say words like foundation, go back and listen to last week's episode first, and then come to this one. We focused in on your questions related to relationships, whether it's with those outside your home, like teachers and coaches, or with your spouse, or maybe with an ex-spouse, with a blended family situation. We talk about siblings. We talk about connecting as a family without it being stressful. All that is in this great conversation with Jim and Lynn. I also want to let you know that any sponsor for the event, I have highlighted over on my Instagram feed. If you go to my profile, you'll see a little circle and it says live event, or they're in the show notes, which you can get straight into your inbox. If you go to don'tmomalone.com, scroll down and it says, get the Don't Mom Alone weekly podcast show notes. Subscribe now. You can get them there and you'll get all these great links straight in your email inbox. All right, let's get to our chat. Here we go. Jim and Lynn. Come on up here. We're going to talk. I'm so thankful for them. You guys can follow them at Connected Families. Oh, here we are, guys. Yay, Yay again, right? Yeah, and in our, in our conversations last night, uh, the questions reflected it. And then in our conversations last night, uh, talking with lots of parents, moms and dads. But the theme of overwhelming, overwhelming, oh, so overwhelming. Uh, it came up all the time, and these questions re- reflect that. And we want to do the best we can in a short time to address some of these questions. So we're talking about relationships, and I think an important place where we're talking about the foundation gets disrupted is when we get feedback from people outside of our family about our kids, whether that's a teacher or a principal, or it could be or a, a, or a, a grandparent <laughs> of the child, a mother-in-law, how do we handle feeling like you're not a good parent every time we're getting that negative feedback? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, and that really calls us to go back to our foundation and recognize that um, Jesus chose people that were really messy. And they took lots of training and encouragement. And he didn't choose the shiny ones. 
Um, and our kids have so much potential, and sometimes the more potential they have, the harder it is for them in those early years. Mm -hmm. And I personally have had those calls from the principal, <laughs> like, come pick up your child, because he just decked someone in <laughs> kindergarten. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's really hard. I went away from school in tears that day. But it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So to have confidence in our ability to, one, number one, be peaceful and not let this child's behavior define me or tell me that I'm a bad parent, but to have that long-term view of God can do anything in a child's life as I persevere in encouraging and teaching and training. Yeah. So we had to make that practical one day when <clears throat> we were at church. We, uh, um, we, we were actually in our home church, and we don't get to teach there very often, but this was some years ago, and we were teaching in our home church. We were teaching these very ideas, and and uh, people were ooing and eyeing, and they wanted us to meet their, you know, their other friends, and even oh, that we, story. And, and, and <laughs> well, no, I don't know what story I'm going to tell until I set it up. But there's two stories I could tell right now. And but the one I'm going to tell is we, you know, we'd been doing this class, and we're the we're the we're the church's sort of parenting experts, right? And uh, you know, our kids mostly made us look pretty good, but every once in a while, it, not so much. And uh, so we're standing in the lobby after church one day, and Pastor's wife comes up, and we're talking, and she. Taps, taps, we're standing there. She's like, um, so you guys, can I just talk to you here quick for a second? Sure. Um, I just caught your son, Noah, downstairs, brand new church building, just huge, big, multi-million dollar campaign. We just started in the church within months ago. Um, I just caught him downstairs under the stairwell with my son. A younger boy. Uh, and he was younger than our son, Noah, who was probably about seven or eight at the time. They were lighting matches, starting fires. <laughs> In the church building. Now, my impulse was to blow a gasket, go get that kid in front of everybody, set him straight so they knew who was in charge here. And I realized, based on uh, what I'd learned myself from, from years of trying to help parents, that, that that would be about me and my embarrassment. And I would be parenting out of a sense of my need to show somebody something as opposed to coming alongside my son and helping him figure this out. Took a deep breath, said a quick prayer. Ah, Lord, this isn't about me. It's about Noah. Uh, thank you for letting us know. Is there anything we need to do now? Or how, you know, how, should, how would you like this to roll? And she says, well, no. I mean, the, the janitor came and he kind of told him about all the dangers and all the things that could happen. And I don't think you need to do anything just now. And I realized she was right. He'd experienced the, the, the consequence, if you will, by the embarrassment himself of being caught and lectured by the church janitor. He didn't need me to do that because if I went to him and lectured him, now all of a sudden his discomfort about what he'd done is about his discomfort with me. Uh, and so learning to make that distinction between where my value comes from and the fact that if my kids are misbehaving in a certain way for the umpteenth time after I've told them a million times not to do that it, isn't, it still isn't about me. It's about a choice my child has made, and I have an opportunity here to shame them and to make them feel worse, which will likely uh, lead to a repeat of all of this, or to step outside of all of that and come alongside them and ask, what's the opportunity here to teach, to guide, to, to help my child learn and grow in the values that matter the most? It's really helpful. How many times do I get upset about embarrassing children? It reminds me of a story that I wasn't even there you were there. You came back one day. I, and at the end of the day, I came home, and you told me you were at the Arboretum one day. And this is when our kids were little. And the kids were doing something bad. And 
you ran into somebody and said something very profound that I know stuck. Yeah, I think you all have heard this story maybe, where she wanted to help me with my two-year-old while I was feeding the newborn, and she asked if he had a snack, and she got a snack out. It was a mentor mom, and she handed it to him, and he turned away really mean, and she was British, and then she... I said, oh, I'm so sorry, he needs a nap, it's super overwhelming at the Arboretum. You know, I'm making all the excuses, and she looks me dead in the eyes, and she says, why as mothers do we feel like we need to apologize for our children? If he wants to be a jerk, let him be a jerk. <laughs> I was horrified. I think I started crying, so now I'm the mom who doesn't let my kid be a jerk. You know, I'm just failing in all the things. <laughs> But so, I mean, that was just the start. He just turned away from a British woman in disgust. I mean, it, like, from there, having four boys, it's constant embarrassment of what they're doing. Thank you, Mary Poppins, right? Yeah. <laughs> Parent-child dedications make me sweat when they're all in front of everyone, and that's like one's army crawling off the end of the stage. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So that is really helpful to think about what am I believing about myself right. in this situation where are, is the consequence already happened? Do I need to step in? I think all of those questions are really helpful. I want to just throw in one little perspective too, because this op, this shaming often can come from older relatives. And just so y'all know, you're doing it. <laughs> Did I do it? Welcome, Texas. <laughs> I should maybe stay here yeah, for a you while. Should stay here for a while. <laughs> it's your new thing, y'all. It's my new thing. Fine. Um, that children today are not the same as children a generation ago. And so the, the little ones that your parents raised are very different than the little ones you're, you are How raising. How do we communicate that to them? Because we can say that, right? but they'd be like... Well, there's a statistic they, that helps. And we have that, a statistic. A statistic, okay, okay. Statistic. There's a standardized test. doesn't really matter what it is. It's called the MMPI. But it measures mental health. And the, um, the incidence of anxiety and depression in uh, children and teens, or in teens now, teens and young adults now, is five to eight times greater than it was 50 years ago. So there's a, a dramatic increase in anxiety and depression and stress among children. And so for us to realize, I mean, we don't know what that's all about. Could be vaccinations, could be electromagnetic frequencies, could be toxins, could be screens, could be a whole plethora of things, but you guys have some real challenges in the young children you're raising, and you have to have grace for yourself, or it's just going to be really tough. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's good. All right. What if something happens with our kids, and maybe our spouse and our, ourselves don't see eye to eye on how to handle it? That like, never happens. What if someone <laughs> listens to the podcast and is getting really inspired, but there's nothing God-centered dad or don't dad alone for them, and so <laughs> they're growing in wisdom and knowledge and perspective, but their spouse isn't. How do we... No, I'm just kidding. But truly, I, I get that message a lot. I'm, I'm getting inspired. I'm getting techniques. How do I help my spouse? And there's yeah. conflict that's happening. Right? We hear this all the time everywhere Lots of we times. go. Uh, um, I mean, how many of you married somebody just like you? <laughs> no takers. No takers. Okay. Uh, Lynn and I actually are very much alike, as you can tell. Uh-huh. An INTJ and an EST. E-N-F-P, I-S-T-J. Yes. If you're so the ab- absolute opposites. We're absolute yeah. opposites. Yeah. And, and he says it's like Italy married Japan. Italy married Japan. Italy married Mm -hmm. Japan. Um, Lynn had everything, you know, organized and structured, and I would come home from work and blow it all out of the water. (laughs) 
by my randomness. And, um, we, and we struggled with consequences. Uh, early on, the, the kids would, um, you know, they'd, they'd, go, they'd, they'd figure out, like, like, where's dad soft, where's mom soft? Mm-hmm. And they know who to ask first. Or if they ask dad first and I say no, but they, they know they can go to mom and she'll say yes, then they'll go to mom and get mom to say yes, and then we'll fight in front of them about why you said yes and I said no and what's wrong with you and what's wrong with you. And pretty soon the kids are off doing their thing without even <laughs> anything going on because we're having like, a fight over here. Yeah. Right? Um, Mission accomplished. <laughs> and that was a frequent dynamic in our home until we figured out that it's okay to honor each other's differences um, and until we figured out, you know what, these, the principles on this framework, like Lynn and I both wanted to build strong foundations for ourselves and communicate the message to our kids, you're safe with me. We both wanted to uh, uh, connect with them and make sure they knew they were loved no matter what. We both wanted to coach them and help them learn to grow in their calling and their capacities to do God's work. We both wanted to correct them in love and help them remember that they were responsible. At the principal level, we agreed. At the methodological level, We were very different. But once we realized, hey, we can agree on that, on this framework, all of a sudden we were freed to parent our way. And then when the kids would pit us against each other, we learned um, to to say, oh, so I said yes, but mom said no. Well, it sounds like you got to deal with mom then. Well, but you said I could. Yeah, well, I believe that your mom and I are both trying to do the same thing. We're just trying to do it in a different way. And I'm going to support her no. And that's actually really important for me. And we'll have conversations about that, and maybe next time it, it, it could go differently. But uh, for, for now, if she said no, you got to deal with your mom on her no. And I'm not going to dispute that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's also another question what you're saying is what about if you have a more gentle approach, which is kind of the more the question that we frequently get will be a wife that wants to parent with more gentleness and grace, and a husband that wants to be more firm. Yeah. And um, to just even recognize there's good gifts in both of them. And sometimes the, the husband that, that wants to come in really strong and put their foot down, it's like they've got a sense inside of, I need to protect my family. I even had a dad in coaching once say, if I don't send my kids out life ready, I mean, the world's a tough place. If I don't send them out life ready, I've failed. So there's often good motivation that dads have to be really strong. So as we can appreciate each other's gifts and recognize that, but then also appreciate our own gifts, um, that just really helps. Um, So that instead of constantly telling our spouse how they're not doing things right or having them tell us, we can take the responsibility to grow an environment of encouragement. I I picture like the mom literally saying to her husband, I'm really thankful that you're helping prepare our kids to go out into the world. I mean, verbally acknowledging that would be really helpful in a marriage dynamic. And looking for times that, I mean, just even looking on, you know, the framework gives you a simple perspective on how to look for things to affirm. It's like, you know, just whenever there's times that there's a little more peace or patience, it's like, wow, you really kept your cool in that. Uh, And I think that, you know, Josh really respected how you handled that and look for those kinds of things. Or, gosh, you had so much fun connecting with uh, the girls, you know, to play Barbies with them. Wow, how in the world did you tolerate that? You know, or whatever. You just, this can give you a structure to look for things to encourage. You really communicated that they're loved. You really communicated that they're safe. Yeah, that's really... Is it okay to make confessions to this group? Absolutely. 
We're all a mess. So in our marriage, um, one of us was more snippy with the kids quite frequently than the other. Why are you laughing? <laughs> it, it was me. I, was, I, I, was, I, I have a tendency to be fast, large, and loud as a default and to get things done. And I, I, you know, I work with high-risk teens, and I could move groups from here to there and, and get them in the van and get them on the road and get in and out of a restaurant with the place cleaner than we left it with a group of high-risk teenagers. I was really good at managing behavior the way that I did it. Um, Lynn's way was different than mine, and that would often frustrate me. Um, and, um, and, and I would come in, I'd come home from work and things were out of, out of whack a little bit and I could sense the tension and the chaos and I would put my hands on my hip and I would say, Lynn, what are you doing? Kids, stop that and do what your mother says right now. Thereby just undermining all of her afternoon efforts. Um, which she could easily have said, now there you did it again. You undermined all my efforts all afternoon, which she did not say most of the time. <laughs> you want to confess anything here? <laughs> Sometimes. No. So, so what Lynn learned to do that was so helpful for me was looking back at this framework. Um, instead of making an indictment or, 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 or um, you know, convicting me before, without a trial about something I had done wrong, she would wait until the dust had settled, or even in the middle of this, and she would say, Jim, what, what are you hoping the kids will learn right now? What are you hoping they'll get from you right now? What are you hoping they're going to get from us right now? And that was a really a, a, a penetrating question, because, because I couldn't say, well, what I'm hoping they'll get from me is that they need to understand they need to be organized. Yeah, I know what you want, Jim, but what are you hoping they'll get from you? And let's check with the kids about whether they're getting it or not. Wow. I had to reflect on that. Um, and over time, you know, it helped. It, when she, when, instead of just um, condemning me in front of the kids, if she would just say, what are you hoping for? Well, I'm hoping, f- <sighs> I'm just hoping for the kids. Kids, I'm hoping that you'll be a little more respectful of your mom. Oh, Oh, wow, cool. Oh, dad's for her, not against her. Oh, um, I'm hoping that you'll learn to follow instructions and listen a little bit better. (sighs) All of a sudden, we're teammates to solve this problem with the kids instead of Lynn and me fighting against each other. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me tell you one thing I heard from what you said. I think um, the context is broad from any authority relationship is it's more important to be aligned than it is for that situation to be handled correctly. And so, or to be solved immediately, right? Like so, in many situations, I mean, I'm sure I'll handle it incorrectly. But I think if you and I are aligned and you're backing me, then you and I can take it offline, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. far as trying to fix it, even if I'm handling it incorrectly, it's better that we show to the yeah. the children that we're on the same page, and it is that actually what was actually done. And was I'm like, I know all of you that listen are more like me, um, I think, <laughs> and that we just want to get it right so badly. And so we listen to all the things and we read all the things and we want to get parenting right. And so I think it is a good reminder to us that it is more important to be united than to be right. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that not all families are a married couple intact and um, that there are a lot of blended families. There are a lot of single moms and dads. And we did get a lot of questions about blended family dynamics of Mm -hmm. how do you deal when the child comes back with behavior that they got from being at the other parent's house and how do you co-parent well when you 
you know, maybe aren't dealing with people that desire this connection. And, right. Yeah. Which really applies to unblended families as well. It's about we have to be really confident before God in how we're parenting. And when we do, um, then we can go in and just be at peace with how someone else is parenting. So like if your kids are over there and they're doing it completely differently than mm-hmm. you think is right, yep. releasing that, knowing God's bigger. Right. And there's, um, you know, I've talked, we're familiar with a number of single parents, obviously, and to just see that over time, the parent that parents with wisdom and grace earns their child's respect. Mm-hmm for sure. And you can have a parent, the other parent saying the worst things about you and parenting in a crazy way. And if you are confident and walking in grace and loving your children, they notice over time and you become the one that they listen to the most. That they we've trust. Seen, they they yeah. trust. Mm. That we've seen that happen over Even and over again. Even if the other one's offering shiny objects and... Mm-hmm. Yeah. The newest and, phone and the newest thing. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it's easy to let them into your process and go, you know what? It'd be so easy to just give you all the things that I know you'd love to have, but I need to parent before God in a way that I th- I'm convinced is best for you. And that's going to be hard sometimes. So a key piece of how we've watched parents do this is to really have empathy for how hard it is for kids to sh- either if it's a blended family, shift back and forth between these two houses. Had a young dad uh, a couple of months ago come up to me and say, just realizing how important it was for me to empathize with my son about how tough this mm. regular shift is changed the whole dynamics for us. And when I really stepped into this is really stressful for him and understood him, it's like the tension dropped. Um, so to, to connect, um, and just when they, when they come back, I thought I was, I have my little notes, you know, that I would be the type that would write lots of notes. Um, but I thought about just the question, you know, as a child comes back, you know, what do you need to feel connected to me again? And what do you want to tell me about how you're feeling and how your time went? Not like, how did it go at your dad's, but what do you want to tell me about how you're feeling and how your time went? And just to be available and to help them transition back and you know yeah is is that's just super I think helpful. that's really helpful okay so let's move into sibling rivalry shall we raise your hands if you have siblings in your under your care and do they um rival <laughs> anyone I remember when mine were really cute and little I thought sibling rivalry that's dumb they love each other they're so cute they want to play with each other all the time ha 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 that did not last forever no we are we are we are rivalry people for sure we had it this morning I thought well that's interesting that I'm going to go have a podcast episode and we're going to talk about that I see that I'm Uh rare and we have gone through your course on sibling rivalry and I know I replayed it on the podcast this summer as a bonus little episode. So y'all, if you need a whole course on this and you want to go deeper, these are your people. And I love what you do, that you're not just giving us something that will shut it down. You're equipping the kids Mm -hmm. to be the reconcilers because conflict isn't just happening Mm -hmm. for children 
at this stage. Conflict happens at work. Conflict happens with friends. And the world would tell you just cut those people out of your life. Like, you don't need those people. But when you're siblings, I mean, they do it. People do it as adults. They cut siblings out of their life. But a lot of questions were about how do you foster a respectful sibling relationship, long-term sibling relationship? How do you... Yeah. help our kids see the differences in each other and appreciate each other. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we launched the course with is, is, is to invite parents to fill in the blank. Conflict is blank. Uh, and when we do that in live workshops, 90% of the parents in the room say something to the effect of conflict is bad. Conflict is a problem. Conflict is something that we need to diminish around here. And the truth of the matter is, as fallen human beings who uh, have our own selfish orientation towards things, when we encounter anybody whose orientation and belief and opinion is different than ours, we tend to think we're right and they're wrong. Um, And you don't have to look very far on your Facebook feeds to see evidence of this these days. Um, But what we we invite parents to consider is, is that that's not necessarily true. Conflict is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to help our kids learn uh, really the greatest gift of all, which is to reconcile, to be restored in relationship. And at the end of the day, the most important relationship for us to restore and, and, and see be restored is the relationship with God through Christ. We are re- reconciled to God through Christ, and as a model of that, we're going to help you kids figure out how to understand how to reconcile your relationships. Mm-hmm. So if we even really think through the framework on this, because it's super helpful, that process gets derailed unless we really look at our foundation. Like Jim said, what am I believing about conflict? And to, to really see this as an opportunity and to set aside judgments is really critical. So I can remember uh, one time, I'm pretty sure it was after a sibling conflict because that was the thing that would get to me the most. I remember looking at Daniel, who could be pretty aggressive, and I remember thinking, you are the three-dimensional representation of my failure as a mother. <laughs> I know, and I immediately went, wow, that was really dysfunctional. (laughs) But it was in there, right? But, you know, how often do we kind of feel something like that when sibling conflict happens? Mm -hmm. And so I learned to set aside my baggage about that and to set aside my baggage about older brothers should never pick on little sisters that I had from my childhood and to just go in empathetic about how hard this is for these little intense personalities and then I could go in and just throw my arms around him or offer him a hug and go, this is so hard, you guys, isn't it? Wow, you both love this toy, don't you? And I could connect and empathize and communicate, I'm for both of you. Because usually in sibling conflicts, there's a stronger child, maybe an older child, and a, and a more timid child. And what do we do? We become mama bear for the timid child, which feeds the older child's beliefs that you like her better. And then that builds resentment and the whole thing snowballs. So to go in with strong messages of, I am for both of you. And a a belief that we had, and we talk about this in the course, um, that really kept us going was we wanted for our kids. (laughs) We wanted for our kids the kind of relationship that Jesus bought for them at the cross. 
which means we can't go in with our finger pointed and, and be the judge and the arbiter of who's the bad one and who's the, who's the, who's the perpetrator, who's the victim, and how, you know, how do we protect the victim and punish the perpetrator, which is the classic default that parents take. It's like, so then we, you know, we, we take, we take the, the, the instigator and we put them in their room and tell them not to come out until they can say they're sorry, which ultimately sort of teaches our kids to say something that's not true in order to get on with life. Mm-hmm. To lie to get out of trouble, which we don't, which we don't want to do, but that's the default. And so we have an opportunity to support the victim in saying his or her piece, uh, to to, um, to to get some understanding role in here. And in the context of the course, we teach this process where, where number one, foundationally, we need to settle down, we need to calm down ourselves, we need to let go of our baggage. You know, for me, it was opposite of Lynn. Lynn, Lynn kind of always had it out for the for the boys because of her brothers, and I was the oldest of two sisters who were always whining to get their way and so when Bethany <laughs> did her thing I was like she just needs to toughen up and you know then Lynn and I would be in that dynamic I described <laughs> earlier and we'd have to say, well we figured that out and realized we're for all of these kids in this and so calm down um, and then and then develop some understanding uh, uh, help our kids to understand each other feel heard feel listened to and then you know it's just like the steps across the stream into into reconciliation meadow if you if you want we start on crazy mountain we calm down we <laughs> understand each other, uh, and parents lead the way here. So we've got to do the calming first. We've got to do the understanding first. Um, then, we've, then we do the problem solving. And instead of just being the arbiter, even with our, even with our four- and five-year-old kids, they're old enough to start saying, well, I think I need to do this, and I think I need to do that. And here's what I could do to make things right. Here's what I could do to reconcile. Here's how we can solve this. Um, we invite that conversation. It's a problem-solving sort of a conversation. And then whatever little step of, of progress is made, is it invites us to start taking the next step to celebrate and say, hey, this time you used your words instead of your hands. Or this time you had an idea about problem solving and last time you didn't. And this time you guys lasted 10 seconds instead of just five. <laughs> Whatever it might be. If you end with celebration instead of indictment, it reinforces future success. So we call that the peace process. Calm, understand, solve, and celebrate. And the celebrate piece is possibly the most important of all because that brings grace and forgiveness and encouragement into the process. And when I thought about that, um, the kind of relationships in life that Jesus bought for our kids on the cross, not just with each other, but whatever relationships they'd have, I thought it's, I just had this image of trickle down grace you know, starting from the cross and just trickling down through us to our kids and then out to the world. And our kids started with, in some pretty rough places because Daniel was getting bullied a lot outside the home. So he brought those social skills home to his sister. <laughs> um, but he, our kids all have grown to become just profound dispensers of grace in life to others. So I know some moms are thinking it sounds awesome, and dads maybe, of this peace process. And I've used it like if we've had a major moment of conflict, but some days it feels like conflict's happening every five seconds. Like that happens and that happens and that happens and that happens. And like, I can't go through all the steps Mm -hmm. for each one and it feels overwhelming. I just want them to stop it. So there's research about, there's research about this, Heather. Okay, good. (laughs) Studying of sibling relationships. And they started um, with kids who were ages uh, three to five who were siblings, and they would put the three and the five-year-old sibling in, uh, in a room with you know, the two-way mirrors and, and some toys that belonged to each of them. 
And they just paid attention to what happened. And every nine minutes, on average, those two kids started a new fight, a new conflict about something they hadn't thought about before. (laughs) That was the average. And then they studied these siblings over time. And what was interesting was is that the siblings who, who ended up carrying on better in life as they aged were not the siblings who didn't fight, who just went to their corners and stayed away from each other. It was the siblings who just kept going at it. And so it's normal and natural for this conflict to happen. And the question is, when do we need to engage and at what level? Because if we have to engage in every single one of these, that's all we're going to do all day long. Because yes. every nine minutes, our kids are going to start a new or fight. Less. Yeah. And we'll exhaust all or of less. that. Yeah. Well, you have a theory on this. You've noticed. Oh, Bruce has got a theory. Well, you've observed families about peace and relationships. You talked through that. Oh, well, I mean, I think, and so I grew up, I had three sisters... Um, and I think one thing I learned is if there's not conflict, there's not relationship. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was also going to mention, too, you know, one thing as I'm kind of listening to that is just having constructive outlets for the differences as well. And I think one thing that we instituted about maybe a year ago, I don't know where this came from, which was... Maybe Lynn, I don't know. Which was every weekend... It was Lynn. We were, well, we may have come up with it, but we talked about it with you. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think this came out of one of the sessions with you, but every weekend... Yeah, no, I, I do remember now the conversation where that came out, but it was... Uh, we have four kids, and so every weekend, one child gets to be the predominant picker, just chooser. The, the, yeah, the decider of where so, we would get pizza from, or what movie we'd watch. Or, or what, if we went out to dinner, they would get to be the one that picks. And so um, it's amazing, actually, how well that's worked. So now each kid knows when it's their weekend. Oh, they, they, know. they know. They know. Mm-hmm. And they also, they'll try to negotiate and do some horse swapping but, um, <laughs> on decisions, but, but they respect the process. Yeah, and it simplified. It's not. A con- I mean, we were just fighting lots of battles, and the dominant personalities were winning um, most weekends, and we were going to the payway every weekend. <laughs> so, yeah, I think um, having those strategies, but it really is helpful to know that conflict doesn't mean you're doing. You're not a failure as a parent. Yeah, to so have we, that as your foundation. I mean, our kids were three kids within four years. High stress, high energy. Loved being in each other's stuff, which was both good and a challenge. Um, And we just learned over time, like there was some key questions that we could ask that were really helpful. One of which was is, um, you kids are really having a hard time right now. Do you need some help solving this or can you cover it on your own? And, and, you know, we've seen, and as we've coached parents and learned to implement this, these ideas with even kids that were younger than ours, kids three and five years old will just look up at mom or dad and say, uh, uh, we'll solve it on our own. Sorry, I'm sorry. Hugs. They start playing together fine, and it's fine for another nine minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that is helpful statistic right there. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think is really important, too, is um, when there's an inequity in sort of power, for the kids, you know, the dominant child and the weaker child. Our tendency is, if the levels are like this, to, to try to suppress or push down the, the more strong child. And then that really feeds that dynamic of, I'm against you. Uh, or that belief that I'm against you. And so uh, to let the child know, I don't want to do that because you are so good at speaking for yourself, and that's a great gift. So I'm going to support your little sister so she's sort of up on the same level and you guys can really work it out together. And then you just give that other child the least amount of help they need in order to be successful in expressing what they feel to the other child. So Bethany was a year and a half when we started this, 
And I got out of the mode of just rushing in, grabbing Daniel and going, this is not okay. <laughs> and I started working on I facility. can visualize it in my own life. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not um, alone in that. <laughs> and I'd just pick her up and she'd be crying. And I said, oh, let's go talk to Daniel. I can't. Oh, yeah. Or maybe it was, let's go talk to daddy. We did this. When with, I got snippy. When he got snippy. This was really helpful with yeah. Jim, too. Just to support her, make her feel protected, and then ask her the question that she needs so what are you feeling and then she'd look at me and go I'm so sad or maybe she'd go I don't know and then I'd go what, are you sad or mad I'm sad oh well you need to tell dad or you need to tell Daniel that I'm sad oh awesome high five Daniel did you hear that what'd she say she said she's sad good you were listening awesome okay let's keep going you guys are doing great and it's just filled with encouragement for both of them And that was what began to change the momentum when both of them felt encouraged and successful and that we were on their side. That's good. That's good. We got questions on friendships. How involved should we be in helping our kids socializing and making friends? Some of us are more inclined to intervening and helping set up play dates and you know, we might have kids with really strong personalities, really extroverted and strong-willed, and nobody wants to be their friend. There's all those dynamics that each child is so unique and struggling. Maybe they're too shy, and they're not. So how, what, what is our role in that so mm-hmm. that we don't overextend ourselves, and yet if we see our tr- child struggling? Right. Well, part of your job as parents is to just help kids understand how relationships work. And so just to be talking about friendships in general and talking about feelings and empathy, and we have a blog post on our website, Empathy Part 1 and Empathy Part 2, because teaching kids empathy for others, which is really that therapists call it perspective-taking, of being able to step into someone else's perspective, is a really important piece for friendship. And so to be working on that as a family, not pointing your finger at the one that's insecure or overbearing, um, but just learning about it and talking about friendship in general equips your kids to feel more successful. What was the um, series of books that you recommended for oh, us? It's right. like a sensory yep. OT series. There's, there's a, uh, if you go to socialthinking.com, It's a great resource for kids because it's not about learning social skills. Hello, Heather, nice to meet you. But it's about thinking socially, thinking about taking other people's perspective. And there's a fun book called You Are a Social Detective. And um, that actually came out when our kids were in high school. And a couple of us, namely mother and oldest son, uh, sometimes didn't read social cues as well as others in the family. So we read through the book together, and we laughed, and we talked about it. And Daniel and I will still joke about being social detectives. Some of us are naturally gifted at reading the cues and being aware of our impact on others. It's called EQ. And others need to be taught. Like, are they looking at you? Do they look interested? <laughs> what's are you, their, this what's was their space important, bubble? <laughs> um, are you doing what's expected? That was an important question for one of my kids. Are you doing the unexpected thing? And, and can you see their reactions when you do the unexpected thing? Right. I, don't, I think just making them aware of some yep. of these social things that aren't as um, innate mm-hmm. in them. 
But in that, keeping a focus on times when they make someone feel comfortable and they make someone feel encouraged or they reach out to someone and putting your primary energy into noticing when they are a social detective versus reminding them when they're not. Yeah. What went well? That's what question you told us Mm -hmm. to focus on. (laughs) What went well? What went well? What did you feel good about in that play date? Yeah. Is there anything you want to do differently next time? Yeah. Or what did you feel good about? Yeah. Okay. I was just going to add a little bit about uh, uh, maybe a little different angle on the question, and we hear this from parents often, uh, which is, what if I don't like the friends my kids are starting to hang out with? And uh, when, when Daniel, our oldest, was, was yeah, l- late elementary school, I think, he started to hang out with a group of young men that I didn't, wouldn't choose for him. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> and... Uh, and when he would, you know, and he would hang out, and he would come home, and he would have this attitude, and he, you know, was just a different person. And it's it's like Daniel, when you hang out with them, you become a bad person. We can't let you hang out with them anymore. You need to choose better friends. What's the deal, bud? Can't you choose better friends than that? Not recognizing that he was feeling a lot of social pressure, and, you know. And and I came at it the way parents come at it, and then and then you know, Lynn is like, well, what are you hoping he'll hear from you? And and I started thinking, gosh, this isn't the dad I want to be, oh, wise sage. I taught parenting at the time, and it was like, what kind of questions could I start to ask him that would help him mm-hmm. think this through, verbalize this through, help him know that I'm with him in this issue, not against him? And so I went to him one day, and I just said, hey, bud, you know what? I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And he's like, what? I said, well, I, I've been really judgmental about, about your friends. And God made your friends, and they're um, no more special or less special than anybody else. And there's some things you must really like about being with your friends. Uh, tell me about those things. And he said, well, I like their video games, and, and you know, when things are going cool, then it's all cool. And, you know, he kind of, as he talked, I don't remember even the specifics, but he kind of let me realize that there, you know, he didn't see it all glowing either. Like, yeah, yeah most of the time, they're, they're pretty cool. Oh, well, what about those times when, when they're not mostly cool? How do you get through that? Well, there's one time, you know, the video game flashes these, these pictures that are bad and they start swearing and acting really cool and when their moms talk to them, they get really sassy with them and I don't like that so much. Wow. It's really, it's, that's really grown up for somebody your age to be aware of that. What do you want to do about that, buddy? I don't know. And sometimes our kids give us cues that they need a little help with an idea. And we just give it. Well, why don't you? But I learned that that's not as helpful as saying, well, would you like to hear an idea or two from me? And he's like, sure. Well, how about um, you pick the day a week that it's most likely to go as good as you'd like it to go, and, and that's the day that it's good for you to go over to those guys' house. And on the other day, you can invite them here if you want, and I'll hang out with them. And we had one of the friends come over and play football with his dad in the yard, and it became immediately clear why this young man struggled. And then we were able to build a bridge to that family, and years later, that's, that young man who had sort of offended my son has reconnected with him and apologized for stealing money from him when they were in sixth grade or something because of a presence of grace that started to move into that relationship. So he slowly changed friend groups over time, because he wanted to, not because we made him, based on that approach. I think those are good questions to ask so that we aren't just coming in and yep. 
we're staying connected even in a very hard situation. Yep. And your name is Connected Families, so I think we should talk about connecting as a family. Um, because oftentimes, uh, how many of you have kids under the age of five? See? Y'all. How many of you don't? I'm telling you. <laughs> kids under the age of five connecting as a family. Is anyone sweating it? That's stressful. It's very stressful. You are constantly together anyway, and it's not always positive, and you're pouring out, and it makes you crazy. But we got people that asked, how do we connect as a family without it being stressful and exhausting? Mm-hmm. A lot of times parents think that connecting with my child means I have to get on the floor for a half an hour and play Barbies or Legos. And you really don't like that. You, you can't stand Barbies or Legos, so the whole time your nonverbals are, eh, this is really fun. <laughs> and then you sweat it, and then when you leave, your child sort of just didn't, that didn't really work for them, so they're still sort of a hungry for connection, and then they have a meltdown, and you're feeling like, I just played Barbies for half an hour, and you're melting down, you're so ungrateful. So... <laughs> So I guess there's a little I don't know I, I kind of liked Barbies I thought Barbies was fine well I think they think that either there's like really these playing on the floor which our grandparents didn't do first of all and our yeah. parents probably didn't um, it's our generation that believes that that's a requirement And but there's also this idea that Instagram and Facebook tell us that we all need to go do something amazing together like go see to the hot air balloon festival and yeah. enjoy it or we all need to go to the arboretum and have a fabulous time and get the perfect picture with the pumpkin. And so there's like a pressure to not only do the thing that's outside and stressful for everyone, but also <laughs> be happy doing mm-hmm. it yeah. and enjoy it yeah. and, and be perfectly yeah. matched yeah. or something. So one of the it's things... True. <laughs> one of the things that really helped me as a mom of young kids was to realize a lot of times my kids don't need me to be on the floor playing for a half an hour. I wasn't good at that. But I could come in and out of their lives and just deliver, and Jim was the master at this, just fun little bursts of connective energy. And I realized the power of this, and you may have heard me tell this story because it's one of my favorites, but uh, there was a day when Daniel was picking on Bethany and I was picking on Daniel to get him to stop picking on Bethany, and we just kind of kept going like that all day. And I got to the end, and because of this little framework, I thought, duh. I just corrected this child all day long and didn't connect with him. So I found him and got down and just looked in his eyes. And he looks at me and goes, what you doing? I said, I just like looking at you. And he goes, oh. And I left. It was a whole 15 seconds of my time. And by the time I got the kids tucked in bed at night, I went, what happened to Daniel? It was like he treated Bethany like a princess all night. And I realized I had downloaded 15 seconds of the message, I delight in you. And that just overflowed to his sister. So it's, that was sort of the start of just this concept of quick connects, where you just you do something fun, something silly, something a quick hug, a little mini play wrestle, tossle the top of their hair. One mom I was coaching said she was a little embarrassed when I asked her what she did, and she goes, I smell their heads. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like her way of just saying, I love the essence of who you are. 
Um, and Jim was great. You would, you, I, I'll tell this because I'm just so proud of you, but he would do like, you, you, you're the one that I love. Or, um, you know, just, I feel so strongly about you. Or what was some of the, oh, the, with the Daniel, you'd do the hit your chest and then pump your fist Still to together. this day with my 30 year old, yeah. when, we've, when we've had an argument, he and I don't agree politically. <laughs> which is a really hard thing these days imagine um, that <laughs> um, and we talk and we listen and we work hard to understand each other's perspective and I work hard to not just and he's way smarter than me so oh my know, it's not like his logic is flawed um, I can't like but, but at the end it's just like you know what buddy I'm so glad that you're passionate that you think things through that, if I, that, that underneath all of sort of the ideological stuff you have a heart of grace for people and you want that to be expressed. And it's just such a pleasure to be your dad. And we do the thing. And he's 30. And, and yeah, it's lands like this. And dunk. And mm-hmm. it's just like you do with a five-year-old. And it yeah. still takes. And it still works. I used to, you know, your Zephaniah 317 thing. That you, oh, I used to go right. into the kids uh, uh, on periodic mornings. And I would sing and dance over them with shouts of joy. Which jumping up and down picture this body doing that the kids would just sort of look up at me on Saturday mornings as they're waking up and it's like okay dad we get it (laughs) but I you know it's just I love you I think you're awesome because God made you with a purpose and it's so glad to be a steward of your life and I love you dad I get it go away (laughs) but they loved it of course they did love it and they still tell people about it um so that's one thing, is just these little, these little quick connects. But the other thing that we did a lot of with our kids is we recognize connection oftentimes, you know, the, 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 the vacations and the experiences where you go and you're just trying to have, you know, some, some Facebook-worthy post or an Instagram picture with your family, um, um, you know, we just decided, let's, instead of just going and serving ourselves by these experiences and trying to make it fun and connective. Let's go serve other people. Let's, and, and, you know, it started out simple by visiting nursing homes and what are you good at and what are you good at and what are you good at and, and how might you use that to be a blessing to the people at the nursing home today mm-hmm. and, and, or the neighbors that are struggling or, you know, just little, little sort of opportunities to, to work together as a family in a connected way to serve others. Um, and, you know, our kids probably learned as much and grew as much and loved being together as much in those settings. And when, we, when that morphed into full week-long mission trips with, with families uh, that we would lead and take families on to different places, um, you know, we'd have, we'd have parents of teens c- come and say, you know, we're really intrigued by this idea, but we're scared to death because of how our kids treat each other. Yeah. And we're worried about what's going to happen. And I would just say, listen... I understand, because I'm afraid of that a little bit with, with my own kids, too. But here's the thing. Um, I'll release you from your parenting responsibility if things go haywire between your kids, because I'm a youth worker, and I can handle stuff, and we'll figure it out. Just trust me to s- s- sort of fall back on if you need me. And they agree to go. And this is kids with diagnoses, you know, the ODDs and the ADDs and, you know, the different things. And kind of like across the board, right, like without exception, these families would say, that was the best vacation we've ever had together in terms of our family being on the same page and enjoying each other. And at night, we would do the vacation-y things. We would dance and we would celebrate and we would have contests and we would do fun things like we were on a cruise ship only in the middle of an Indian reservation somewhere. And it was, a, it was awesome. Um, but it was families using the blessings. It's like we're conduits of God's blessing to the world, so let's make our connective 
activities be a reflection of that. Mm-hmm. You can speak to that. That was your upbringing, basically. Mission trips? Yeah. I think it's not about every moment being perfect at all. I mean, I think a lot of it's just about being together. So yeah, so we, my, my father's a general surgeon, and so we would grow up and we would spend anywhere from two weeks to two months or, or even more than that sometimes uh, going different places around the world. And um, yeah, and actually our parents also, um, probably for uh, tax deductibility reasons, required us to work while we were there. <laughs> I think it allowed us to yeah, perhaps a lot expense of it. Yeah. But, um, I but think we passed the statute of limitations if the IRS is listening. But, <laughs> but, but we would. But, but we would have to go we work somewhere, like in a hospital. Using we, your gifts, whatever you yeah. were gifted in. Yeah, yeah we would. Uh, but, you know, there was always rooms for conflict because we were tired. And anybody who travels, like, you know, uh, food and water, basic things aren't always available like they are when you're in the United States. But I just feel like watching your family and the sibling relationships, there's a lot of shared experience and just connection because your parents opened you up to a lot of yeah. different opportunities to serve. But I think that's also getting back to the point about like where there's conflict, there's relationship. I mean, we, we did have, when you're spending that much time together, um, there was conflict, but I think there's, because of that, I think there was tightness, mm-hmm. closeness. And yeah, and the, some of the best gift that we can give our kids is to just be peaceful in that. So, you know, when I would watch Jim have a conflict, you know, it, over time it was like, I just really learned to trust he's going to resolve this. And I was just, I kept encouraging him in that. But the, but the serving thing, you know, when kids sense, when kids really get that message, I am called and capable of doing the good works that God has prepared in advance for me to do. That's really a huge protective factor. And research shows this. It's a huge protective factor against at-risk behaviors. Um, and so it's something to start from the little, little bitty ages. So some of you might be thinking, mission trip, we can barely just get to church. So um, (laughs) if you could say a word about if there's a child that they're trying to connect with and they seem a bit cold or you're, you're not really drawn to connecting, how do you help if one, either the child or yourself you're not really interested in connecting? Mm-hmm. That's a hard question, and I certainly felt more insecure about that because, you know, Jim's a youth worker. He's like Pied Piper and, you know, the fun meister, and I'm the taskmaster. And, uh, you know, so I entered that realm with a lot of insecurities. But it was like I, the question that he asked last night, the zero to ten, there is absolutely no connection at all. And ten is, it's a little hard, but, That's you know, true. Yeah, there's we can, good connection. If you guys want answers to that, we did talk about yep. that last night. Yeah. And where, where are you at? And what, what is between zero and that number? And how can you enter into that with confidence of, yeah, this is how I connect with my child? Like there's got to be somewhere you're connecting. Yep. Just continue mm-hmm. to do that. The other thing that, because I had, I struggled with connecting with Daniel and felt guilty about how I felt about him compared to the other kids for a while. But we really sort of almost entered into this covenant together of it is important for both of us to work on the connection in our relationship, and we own that together. And I think that would that's, you communicate to him that? Yeah, we talked about it. Like at what age? Because again, they're little. Uh, Probably late elementary school. Okay, so more like 10, 11, 12. Yeah, Yeah. right. But as he was going into the teenage years, we kept that up. 
We had this little competition of um, the last one on a phone call to say, um, to, you know, if I, if, if I finished, and then I said, I love you more, and I'd hang up, then I kind of won. You know, and we just sort of went back, or creative ways to do that. So there was a night that I, um, we were changing carpet, and I spray-painted on his floor the symbols for I love you more, and I was like, yes. And then I, after he went to bed, I hear my computer speaking this strange noise, and I go in, and he had programmed it on delay to start saying, I love you more. I love you more. <laughs> so, and I just found, as we moved out of our house of 25 years, on the inside of the, like, the fuse box thing, I had made little stickers that said, I love you more. Uh, so, you know, it's just, we just had fun with that. And yeah. we were committed to that. And... Here we go again. <laughs> Sibling relationships. I mean, relationships just get me going. He has so owned connecting and maintaining the connection with his wife. It's been beautiful to watch. So when there's a struggle like that, that gives God just an opportunity to show that he is capable of anything when you persevere and you trust him in that. Are you all encouraged? We can do this in all of our different relationships. Thank you, Jim and Lynn, for being honest and crying. <laughs> Love crying. <laughs> I, I do that well sometimes. <laughs> Just a couple quick words about, you know, sometimes people hear these, these maybe inspiring ideas and it's easy to go, oh, I could never do that, or oh, I need to do this or that, or my, my, the shape of my pyramid is upside down or whatever. I need to such and such. And to just get in touch with, if you're seeing things that you, you want to change, don't add the I need to boulder to your backpack. Just go, wow, I, I see a pattern now. God's shown me why we're stuck and I can do something about that. And I really want to do something about that. The need to versus I want to is the difference between shame and grace. And it's a huge difference. And um, the Lord can just do really amazing things as we accept his grace in our lives. And if we want our kids to learn to walk in forgiveness and grace, we have to model it first. So however this is landing on you, there's so much hope and grace for you. Thank you all for being here. Let's just thank them right now. Thank you, Bruce being here and for parenting with me listening to all this together thanks y'all again for listening to this whole episode if you've gotten to the end of the second day of don't mom alone live and for those of you asking are you going to do another live event stay tuned i never know it's up to god and maybe we'll take this show on the road i I mean just follow along over at don't mom alone on instagram and facebook and make sure you check out the new website From this episode, I'm hoping for myself to take the lots of strong connective energy when I see conflict happening with my kids. I'm also going to help realize that being unified and united with my husband is more important than being right. And to consider the fact that there is connection happening with my kids all the time. It doesn't have to be this big outing that we do as a family, but to recognize there are little ways, um, just a little back scratch or a moment of looking at them in the eye where I am connecting with them. Also, I know Jim and Lynn mentioned mission trips, and we talked about Bruce's family going on those. If you have little kids and you're looking for another way to think about service as a family, this past weekend, one of my sons and I 
helped Compassion International pass out sponsorship packets at an event. And that's something you can do if your kids are over 10. But if they're under 10 and you want to get involved with Compassion International, I was thinking sponsoring a child is a great way to do that. You get matched up. You can pick a kid that is the same age as your child. And if you have multiple children, you can obviously sponsor more than one child. And then they can write to them. They can draw them pictures. They can send them notes. You send them a picture of your family. One of my sons, we got a note back from our sponsored child, Putra, and he had drawn a picture. And my son, the same age, was inspired and drew a blue jay and sent it back to him. And it's just this fun way to build a relationship with someone across the globe, um, wherever you choose to sponsor. Go check them out over at Compassionate International. Also, um, when we finished this conversation, all of the live attendees were sitting around tables and they had discussion questions that they talked about and let the information they just heard kind of go a little deeper and apply it to their life. If you are looking for that kind of depth, I want to encourage you to check out over at don'tmomalone.com forward slash join a couple different options. One option is our podcast clubs where you would gather some friends together. It could be just one other friend and it could be that your kids play at the park and you talk about the podcast. It does not have to be this huge thing. Some churches use the curriculum and some just mom friends hang out and talk about the podcast. But if you're curious, go to don'tmomalone.com forward slash join and look at the DMA podcast club options. We have a Facebook group where we chat about different things. And then there's the new Not Alone community, which is changing and evolving all the time. I'm actually working on a few things to make that community even better, but you can go over there. And if you're looking for a way to connect further with me and with content, I've kind of curated content to make it more helpful to you rather than this long list of podcast episodes. I'm going to work towards making it really helpful to you to see the transformation you're looking for in your life as a mom. All right. Thanks y'all for listening. Thanks for hanging in here on another long episode. Next week, I'll be back with Candace Cameron Murray, which I'm excited to share with you. And then Sandy Patty's coming on and some other great interviews. So it's it's a fun fall for me uh, in launching this new site and bringing some amazing guests on the show. All right. Don't forget to share the episode with one friend. Be that uh, not alone ambassador. You guys did such a great job on social media this week in doing that. I appreciate you. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, He said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that is superpower. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.